One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. It is Monday, March 1st, 2021, people. And as John Rothstein would say, this is March. Did I do that? I don't don't think I did that right. But anyway, I'll leave the This Is March to John Ross team. But we have a loaded show. A ton has happened since the last time I recorded the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast on Thursday. Very quickly, we will open with some changes to how the NCAA tournament will be run this year. A lot of you have asked me over the course of the last couple weeks, what happens if somebody catches COVID? What happens if a team has to withdraw? What happens here? What happens there? We started to get answers to that earlier this week. I will tell you what the NCAA tournament is going to look like because three important adjustments have been made you need to know about as you get set to fill out your bracket here in two weeks from now, believe it or not. We will then transition to a wild weekend. Bunch of teams lose. Baylor, Villanova, Ohio State, uh, Oklahoma, on and on and on and on and on. We will talk about why I actually believe this past weekend was a precursor to what is coming this March. We will talk about Baylor specifically. Does this loss mean anything? We'll talk a little bit about Gonzaga, who actually finished their regular season on Saturday undefeated, why I think we need to appreciate them. And hit on a few more games. Oklahoma State was awesome with Cade Cunningham. North Carolina upset Florida State. We will wrap, however, with a little coaching carousel news as I believe for the first time there is a real possibility that one of the premier jobs in college basketball, Indiana, may actually open up once again. I don't know that we're there yet, but Archie Miller is in year four. Indiana fell to 12-12 and 12 on Saturday. Archie Miller, of course, the, a friend of the Aratora Sports Podcast. But listen, the truth hurts, and the truth is this team isn't very good right now. There was some scuttle, but over the weekend, Pat Forty wrote a column, tossed out some names. Uh, Bob Kravitz from The Athletic, a very prominent voice in Indiana, he wrote his own column. And so the, for, for the first time, I want to talk about the possibility that this job opens and what names would be interesting interested in there are two big ones that are worth discussing but that is down the road and right now I do want to start with like I said the topics of the day are the games themselves as it was a chaotic weekend in college basketball but I do want to start with some updates on what the NCAA tournament will look like because more and more as we get closer and closer so many of you reach out to me and say Torres what what is this tournament going to look like I know it's in Indianapolis. I just heard that we're going to have fans. This is all great, but what does it all mean for me and my team, and what do I need to know, and what happens if a team gets COVID? What happens if a player catches COVID? What happens then? And so we finally got some clarification late Thursday after I recorded, and I just kind of want to give you guys the basics. And I do this for the same reason I always do it, is because I know you guys and girls are very busy. You don't have time to look up every detail from everything and every sport. And so let me tell you, because there are three important, I don't know if they're changes, but, uh, but announcements that have been made to how the NCA protocols will take place if teams catch COVID. So the first one is that within 48 hours, if a team catches COVID, 
they will be replaced in the NCAA tournament. So Selection Sunday happens, the, the field of 68 is set, and one team somewhere between Sunday afternoon and Tuesday afternoon, that 48-hour window, if they catch COVID and they cannot participate, they will be replaced. That's worth noting for two reasons. The first one is if it is an automatic bid, an automatic qualifier, the league will then send another representative if it's a one-bid league. So for example, let's just use the Missouri Valley as a hypothetical. Loyola of Chicago is really good. Let's assume, and we hope this doesn't happen, but if Loyola of Chicago somewhere between their conference tournament, between Selection Sunday, I should say, and Tuesday get a bunch of positive tests and cannot participate, the Missouri Valley will then pick another representative. I think it's up to every conference how to pick that team, whether it would be the runner-up in the conference championship game, whether it would be the regular season champ, whatever. But that is adjustment number one is that if an automatic qualifier cannot participate within 48 hours after Selection Sunday, then they will be replaced by the league. This is where it gets interesting, though. If an at-large team cannot participate, then there will essentially be four teams on standby ready to participate in the NCAA tournament if there are any teams that come down with COVID protocols. And again, this is within 48 hours of Selection Sunday uh, happening. And what's important here is a couple things. First of all, the Selection Show itself. So Selection Sunday will be like anything you've ever seen because we are going to get that 68-team bracket, but then after that, we will actually see who the first four out are, and those teams will again essentially be on standby. They will not travel to Indianapolis, but the plan would be they would basically sit around campus and in a weird twist, I guess in theory, hope that a team tests positive so they could go to Indianapolis. So for a hypothetical, let's say Duke is the first team out of the field of 68, they would stay in Durham, go back to Durham, but if... Um, I don't know, if USC can't participate, then Duke would fly to Indianapolis and take their place in the tournament. This, however, is the important part. And this blew my mind. And by the way, shout out to my intern, Zach, because he sent this to me and I said, that cannot be right. But it is true. And this is the crazy part of it all. Regardless of which team goes out of the tournament, the team that replaces them will then slot into wherever they are in the bracket. And what do I mean by that? If let's say hypothetically Baylor is a number one seed and let's say hypothetically Duke is the first team out of the NCAA tournament and Baylor cannot participate, then Duke would then slide in, get this as a number one seed. They would just replace Baylor as a number one seed in the bracket. Same if it's uh, USC as a number three seed or a number five seed, Duke then becomes a five seed if they're the first team out. If it's an eight seed, nine seed, whatever. So yes, there is the scenario that Duke or Michigan State is the first team out of the field and will then become a one seed in the bracket. Now, I personally think this is a terrible idea, but let me kind of explain to you why the NCAA has made this decision. And the very simple decision, and the very simple reason is your bracket. They don't want you going to bed on Sunday, filling out a bracket, Monday morning, filling out a bracket, and then Tuesday, uh, Baylor has to withdraw from the NCAA tournament. 
they don't want to have to completely reseed the tournament because I guess in theory maybe you've already filled out a bracket or the office pools are set or the, the, the point spreads in Vegas are set and people have already taken money on certain teams or whatever. What they don't want to do is if Baylor gets knocked out as a one seed because of COVID, they don't want to have to restructure the entire bracket. They don't want to put Duke in as an 11 seed and then have to completely restructure the bracket. It changes everything. It would alter everything. Obviously, you could then have scenarios where teams from their own conferences are playing. You have weird little quirks like BYU has to play on a Thursday-Saturday uh, bracket because of the fact, or I guess this year it would be Saturday-Monday, but either way, BYU doesn't play on Sundays. There's all sorts of weird quirks, and once the bracket is set, they don't want to have to completely redo the bracket. So as crazy as that sounds, what I said is accurate. Yes, if Baylor or Michigan or whomever ends up with a bunch of COVID tests and cannot participate, the team that is the first team out will slot into their spot in the bracket. Now, I personally hate it because one, first of all, we all know nobody fills out their brackets till the last possible minute anyway. You wait, you listen to podcasts like this, you try to inform yourself, you do whatever you have to do, but you're not like a Monday morning filling out a bracket, submitting it and sending it in. Um, I also hate it just because I think it's, it's a complete disadvantage. Uh, imagine being a two seed in Baylor's bracket and all of a sudden you don't have a one seed. How is that fair to both all of the other two seeds who might have to go to go through a one seed to make the make the final four? But how is that fair to all of the other one seeds who now have a tougher draw as well? So I hate this idea, but I want you to conceptualize this. If teams cannot participate because of COVID, I am telling you, it's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. The teams that are on the outside looking in, so team 69, yeah, insert your own jokes, team 69 through 72 will just be inserted for the teams that get knocked out of the bracket if a COVID pause uh, happens, if a COVID case breaks out and teams cannot participate. Now, a couple notes here because I don't think it's as sinister and dire as I just made it sound. The first thing is, after 48 hours, if a COVID outbreak happens, then the replacement teams are, are done. So if on Wednesday morning, a team tests positive for COVID and cannot participate, then the team that they're playing actually just gets a forfeit or a, or a, a cannot play and they advance. So Gonzaga is supposed to play Prairie View A&M and 24 hours before tip-off on Thursday or Friday or whatever it is, Prairie View has a bunch of COVID tests, then Duke doesn't slide in or nobody slides into that spot, um, a Baylor or a Gonzaga or whomever would just automatically advance to the next round. That is at least for the first few rounds of the NCAA tournament. Now I have heard, I will tell you this, if you want a positive, I got kind of a, a sketchy uh, 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 text from somebody that I do trust, by the way, that I do trust that kind of told me, hey, you know, I'm just telling you, after the first weekend, the, these COVID policies are going to be relaxed a little bit because CBS and the NCAA don't want, uh, you know, a team getting stuck in a hotel for three weeks and then a, a Gonzaga, a Baylor, or Michigan cannot play if they advance. So I am told that maybe the COVID protocols, this is completely just speculation on my part, that maybe they'll be loosened up a little bit. But the point I'm trying to make is within the first 48 hours, a team will be 
replaced. And after the first 48 hours, the team that cannot participate will not be replaced. And the team they were supposed to play which is just going to be advanced to the next round. Now, what I would tell you is a couple things. One, I'm hoping that, first of all, that, that things do loosen up as the tournament goes on. Even Dan Gavitt, the, the guy who's in charge of the, the, the NCAA tournament, he kind of hinted, if we get to an Elite Eight, if we get to a Final Four, if we get to a national championship game, and it's conceivable that we can, uh, we can pause the tournament for a day or two to keep the games on the court, then there's a good speculation that that actually will happen. But beyond that, I actually think this is much ado about nothing because I do think the NCAA has actually done a good job of putting COVID protocols in place to make sure that essentially teams themselves are not going to have to pull out of the tournament. Now, an individual player might not be able to play. Uh, a, a couple guys might not be able to play. A coach might not be allowed to be on the sidelines. But the way the NCAA has set this up, I do not believe that this will be this big pressing issue. Let me explain why. First of all, the NCAA has said that you only need five players to field an NCAA tournament team, which, again, is another crazy byproduct of all this. But essentially, if you do have an outbreak on your team, that if you have five players, you're going to play in that game. So this idea of reshuffling the bracket and, and, and teams just advancing, I don't know how much that's going to come into play because if you have five players that are, are safe and healthy to play, you are allowed to play that game. So again, just as a hypothetical, Ohio State, they're the number two seed in whatever region, have a COVID outbreak, but they have five players and only five players, they're still playing their first round game. I would also say too, the NCAA has done a very good job of ensuring that basically, for lack of a better term, that outbreaks can be kind of contained, okay? And, and I've talked about this, I think, on this show. I talk so much about this crap, I can't keep track of everything I say everywhere else. But the NCAA has done a good job of putting in place protocols where there will not be widespread outbreaks and contact tracing on teams. The way teams are going to travel is going to be different than ever before, more spaced out on airplanes, more spaced out on buses. Every player gets their own hotel room. So God forbid a, a player does test positive, it shouldn't take down a whole team. But again, that is what you need to know about the NCAA tournament. Absolutely crazy. I know it's a lot of political and legal and mumbo-jumbo and red tape, but hopefully that makes sense because it is important as it pertains to the NCAA tournament. But boy, oh boy, could it get crazy. Speaking of crazy, how about that for a transition? How about, how about this weekend in college basketball? We had a bananas weekend. Obviously, Baylor lost its first game of the season this weekend to Kansas. We're actually going to talk about that in a minute. I want to go more in depth. Does it matter? Does it not matter? What does it mean? All that good stuff. Um, I do want to also I want to mention that again crazy weekend Villanova loses Ohio State loses to Iowa Oklahoma loses to Oklahoma State and Baylor's the only one that I'll probably really go in depth about but I only bring it up to very simply say this is that I thought this weekend where there was a ton of upsets and Florida State loses to UNC uh, and Texas loses to Texas Tech and USC loses it to Utah I think this weekend Creighton, by the way, losing to Xavier. I think this weekend is a microcosm of what we are going to get in the NCAA tournament itself when it happens in a few weeks. Why do I bring it up? What makes me say that? Well, first of all, what I just said. 
it's going to be bananas once teams get to Indianapolis. And I just laid out the scenario where hopefully teams will not have to be with with will not have to remove themselves or withdraw from the NCAA tournament. But there's always that possibility, right? But on top of that, what I really think we're going to see at the NCAA tournament and what we saw this weekend is that I truly believe, and Sean Farnham and I talked about it on the podcast last week, I truly believe that there are three teams that are just simply a cut above everybody else. Gonzaga, Baylor, and Michigan. And no, I'm not worried about Baylor. We'll talk about them in a minute. But I believe there's three teams that are a cut above everybody else. And everybody else has major flaws. Villanova, not as good as we thought. Creighton, really great some nights, not great other nights. Uh, Ohio State, I think they're starting to come back down to earth. Alabama, banged up, can't get healthy. Oklahoma, good but not great. And so when I look at this NCAA tournament, people keep asking me, what do you think is going to happen when teams actually get to Indianapolis? What I'll tell you is this. I think we're going to get mostly chalk late. I think Gonzaga will be there late. I think Michigan will be there late. I think Ohio State, maybe. Baylor will be. But besides that, it's going to be total chaos, and I think this weekend was a reflection of that. And it's a reflection of this season as a whole, and it's really a reflection of what I talked about a few days ago on the podcast. This has been a crazy, unprecedented season, and so when we see these ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys, it shouldn't be surprising. Think about everything that these teams have had to go through on top of just basketball, on on top of just focusing on who you're playing this weekend. You're getting tested in some cases every day. You're getting pulled out of practice. You're getting quarantined. You're coming out of quarantine. Your team is playing without you in some cases. In some cases, your team is on quarantine, but some guys can practice and some guys can't. You're talking about other teams that frankly haven't been on quarantine at all, haven't been on COVID at all. I talked about it with Nate Oates a few weeks ago, where you never want to test positive because it means you got to shut down your program. But I think Nate Oates was kind of sitting there saying, man, we could use a night off. We could use a weekend off. This has been a long grind of a season. Creighton just got their first game off all year about a week ago. And so when you look at the byproduct of everything this season, I think it's led to this crazy, insane regular season. And I think it's going to lead to an insane postseason once we get to Indianapolis. And the reason why is because, one, I think those top three teams are significantly better than everybody else. Now, I do think, again, there are other good teams. I think Iowa's a good team. I think West Virginia's a good team. I think uh, Florida State, even though they lost, is a good team. I think Houston's a good team. But once you get to Indianapolis, there's going to be a couple things at play. One, I think even though it's the NCAA tournament, I think there are going to be some teams that just know they have no shot, they're exhausted, they're tired, maybe they just don't give their best effort, and I think all of a sudden, a three seed that we thought could go to the Final Four is going to lose in the first round because they're not focused or because they're tired or because they're tired of being in hotel rooms. Another thing to consider is the fact that most teams will not be allowed to leave their conference tournaments and have to go straight to Indianapolis. And so there will be teams that are traveling next Monday and Tuesday that by the time they actually play an NCAA tournament game the following Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, they'll have been in a hotel for like 14 days already at that point, 13 days already. I know of one prominent, prominent top 25 team 
that is already essentially in isolation, away from parents, away from friends, away from family, away from husbands and wives, or not, I guess not husbands, but wives, uh, children for the head coaches. They're basically in quarantine now for the final week of their regular season. It's a power six kind of school. And then they're going to go straight to the conference tournament. They're going to go straight to the NCAA tournament. So if they've already been living out of a hotel for about four, five, six, seven, whatever it is, days now, and then you got another seven days, then you got a week of conference tournaments, it's going to be almost three weeks to a month before they get to Indianapolis. Are they just going to show up and think that they're ready to go and just kind of be out of it because they've been in a hotel, tired of being in a hotel, tired of the protocols, tired of testing? And I'm just telling you, I do think that this weekend was just a byproduct of that, is you take flawed teams, you take uh, not only flawed teams, but you take a circumstance where they haven't had as much practice, and, we, and we've talked about all this, but yeah, you haven't had as much practice time, you don't get to do the things that you normally do, uh, you're stuck in a hotel, maybe you're tired of your teammates, you're tired of your coaches, and we get the results like we got this weekend. I said it last week, I don't think Villanova's bad. I just think it's been a weird year, and so no, I'm not surprised that they went on the road as a double-digit favorite and lost outright. Creighton, I gotta be honest, I'm not surprised. If you've watched them all year, they've been really up and down, and then, oh, by the way, uh, you know, you, you go to a team in Xavier that's desperate for a win, that's hungry for a win, that's a little bit rested because they were on COVID pause about three weeks ago. They're back, they're healthy, they're whatever. Like, I'm not surprised that that game happened, I'm not surprised that North Carolina, who has like seven McDonald's All-Americans, was able to beat Florida State. So I do believe that this weekend was kind of crazy, but I also believe that it was a reflection of what the season, uh, you know, what, what, what this season has been and what it will be. Uh, but I also just think that it is a reflection of what the NCAA tournament could look like once we get to Indianapolis. It is going to be crazy. I'm telling you, I think Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, assuming Baylor gets right, we're going to talk about Baylor in a minute. I think they're going to be fine. They're going to advance deep. But I think everybody else has major flaws. I think Ohio State has major flaws. I think Nova has major flaws. I think uh, even Florida State, Virginia, whoever. And it's going to be really interesting. All right, I do want to now transition to some of the actual results. And obviously, look, logically, the best place to start is with Baylor, an undefeated team coming into the weekend who is, of course, no longer undefeated. So I do want to talk about Baylor, who lost at Kansas. But before we get to Baylor, I do want to welcome back our newest sponsor. That's right, Bracket Fanatics. Listen, guys, March is coming, and we're all going to be filling out a tournament bracket. But what is the most annoying part? Well, besides when a 15 seed upsets your national champion in round one, it's the hassle of actually running the bracket pool. We all know how it goes. One guy wants to pay you next week. Another guy says he'll Venmo you in July. You're tallying points at 3 a.m. On and on and on and on and on. It's too much work running a bracket pool. That's why I'm glad to welcome in Bracket Fanatics as our sponsor. Bracket Fanatics and BracketFanatics.com is a true social networking app. And unlike those other loser, archaic, boring, outdated websites like Yahoo, once you log in and set your pool, it's all done. Everybody pays there. You can make side bets with your friends. 
talk smack, you name it, all in one place. And you don't need some weird email like a Yahoo email. You don't need to chase down Doris from accounting for her last $10. Log in, set the parameters, and then when the tournament's is done payments go straight to winners and it's all in one place at bracket fanatics and bracketfanatics.com. on top of that unlike those loser competitors that i just told you about there are no banner ads and bracket fanatics will not sell your information to advertisers so basically again you go to bracket fanatics you set the parameters and you're done no chasing anybody down no tallying points nothing like that that this is the perfect app for march and to get started this is what you need to do Assemble your crew and get signed up at BracketFanatics.com. Make sure to use the promo code TORRES to win their $1,000 giveaway, which is awarded at the end of the tournament to the bracket with the most wins. Only those who use code TORRES will be entered. Once again, pull up your favorite browser. When you sign up, go to BracketFanatics.com. Use the code TORRES to win a $1,000 prize. One team that's definitely going to be in your bracket, let's talk a little bit about the Baylor Bears. Because obviously, look, in the macro of what this weekend meant, probably the single biggest result did come Saturday night via Baylor in Kansas. As Baylor goes into Fog Allen Fieldhouse Saturday night, 18-0, undefeated, and they lose to the Kansas Jayhawks, final score 71-58. And so when I look at Baylor in the biggest picture, and we'll get to the micro of the game and what happened and what worked well and what didn't and what Kansas is doing well in a minute. But when I look at the macro of this entire season, Baylor reminds me of one of the oldest sayings that I say on this podcast. I don't know about every episode, but probably once a week, twice a month, something like that. And that is that two things can be true at once when we looked at when we look at sports, right? Is that sometimes I know you guys tune in, you expect Taurus to take a big stand on something, and you have to have a strong opinion. There's only one right answer, and the other side is 100% wrong, and that's the world that we live in. I don't think it's very healthy, by the way, but that is the world that we live in. And I do think that sometimes in sports, in life, two things that seem to be disparate, two things that seem to be opposite can actually be true. If you want a big picture example, let's go back to the start of college football season. There were a ton of people arguing it wasn't safe. There were a ton of people arguing that it was safe. If you listen to shows like this, there was kind of a middle ground where I said, yes, of course there's concern. Of course we don't know what it is going to be like to play college football in the middle of a pandemic, but that also doesn't mean that we shouldn't play and that there aren't other risks by not playing. That's a perfect example. Two things that seem polar opposite that can both be true at the same time. And so when I look at Baylor, I do think that two, if not maybe even three things can be true at the same time. One, I don't think this loss is some big picture, oh my God, the sky is falling, Baylor is terrible. But I also do think if you read between the lines, there are cause for concerns for the Bears going into the final weeks of the season. And so let's get into it. As I said, they went to Bay, uh, they went to Kansas, excuse me, on Saturday night, and they lost 71-58. The game, frankly, if you watch, I don't want to say it wasn't competitive because it was a three-point game at the half, but Kansas dictated the game early. Kansas dictated the game late. They dominated the boards. They played great defense, and they were the very deserving winner of this game. As a matter of fact, we should probably start with Kansas because all of a sudden, they're playing really well. Shout out to the Jayhawks. Great performance from them. David McCormick, uh, their big center, had maybe his best game of the season, 20 points. Uh, Wing Jalen Wilson had 7 points, 14 boards. It was a microcosm of the game where, as I just said, the, the, the Jayhawks completely controlled the boards 48 to 28. They limited Baylor from the three point line, and they won going away. And so, before we even get into Baylor, we got to give a little shout out to Kansas. 
because you guys know how I feel about Bill Self. You know I've been very critical of him in his recruiting tactics and what he's accused of in the FBI probe and a lot of things that have happened off the court. But if you listen to this show, there is no doubt that your boy has a ton of respect for Bill Self between the white lines. Bill Self is a freaking stud between the white lines, and I think there might not be a better example of it than this season. I told you a few weeks ago when Kansas fell to 12-7 and overall, when they lost to West Virginia, I never felt like they weren't going to make the tournament, but I said this is just isn't a vintage Kansas team. They're not very good. If you look at this roster, and I told you this weeks ago, they have one top 50 prospect. Uh, his name is, or two top 50 prospects. Marcus Garrett was right on the fringe. They have one McDonald's All-American. His name was Bryce Thompson, who came into the program this offseason. He's barely played. David McCormick was a McDonald's All-American, but he was kind of the fringe back-end McDonald's All-American. And this just wasn't a vintage Kansas roster. And you start looking at their talent relative to West Virginia's and Baylor's and Oklahoma State's and Oklahoma's. And all of a sudden you sit there and say, I don't know how I feel about this team. Well, now I know how I feel about this team because I saw Bill Self work his magic. And once again, he has this team playing great going into the final half, final stretch of the season. Since that West Virginia loss uh, dropped them to six uh, to 12 and seven overall, they have won six of their last seven games. The only loss was to Texas in overtime in a game that they probably should have won. In the process, they beat Oklahoma State, who's one of the hottest teams in college basketball. They beat Texas Tech, who's an NCAA tournament team. And, of course, they beat Baylor on Saturday in what is, frankly, probably the most impressive win of the season outside of maybe Minnesota beating Michigan or something like that. This is an incredible win for Kansas, and they're a team that's not only going to make this NCAA tournament, they're probably going to be a 4-5-6 seed, and you do not want to see them in your bracket. But while the game was a great victory for Kansas, obviously the result is more reflective of what is going on with Baylor. And I think, like I said off the top, two things can be true with Baylor. On the one hand, if your takeaway coming out of this game was Baylor is terrible, Baylor stinks, Baylor is overrated, you need to take a deep breath. As Aaron Rodgers once said, relax. This is a team that's beaten Oklahoma by 15 points. This is a team that beat Kansas in their first game by eight, and it was really 11 because a buzzer beater made it eight in the, in the long run. They, they won at Oklahoma State by 15. They beat uh, Texas by 14. Like, this is a really, really, really good team. And so on the one hand, no, it doesn't mean that they can't win the national championship, that they're terrible. But I do think there is no doubt that coming out of their most recent COVID pause, they played their first game on Tuesday, that they are not the same team. Still 18-1, and one, still can win the national championship, still three games left this week, believe it or not. They still have three games left in the regular season. Barring something catastrophic, they are going to be a number one seed. So again, they're going to be fine in the big picture. They should be fine in the big picture, and they have plenty of time to figure this out before the Big 12 tournament, let alone the NCAA tournament. But I also do think we have to be realistic. We have to call a spade a spade and say that this team has not played as well coming out of COVID pause as they were going into COVID pause. And by the way, that's not really even my opinion. Scott Drew said it after the game on Saturday. This is Scott Drew's direct quote. We were the number one shooting team in the country, and we'll get back to that. But even Superman has kryptonite, and I guess COVID protocols are our kryptonite. Well, there you go. 
You look at this Baylor team, and like I said, I don't think it's Concern City yet. You know, we, we tear this whole thing down. It's terrible. We're never going to win another game. But I do think if you follow the trends, if you follow this team, they have not been the same team coming out of COVID pause. Specifically, like I said, and specifically, frankly, like Scott Drew said, they're basically not shooting the ball as well as they did coming into this, coming into the COVID pause, prior to the COVID pause. This was an elite defensive team. They still are, but they were also the best shooting team in the country, shooting 42% on the season uh, coming into this week. They're still shooting 42% overall, but on the flip side, if you look at what their most recent two games have done, they are clearly not the same team. 42% remember, 42% on the season. That's insane, first of all. 42% on the season. This is one of my favorite stats in college basketball. Of their top five scorers, four of them shoot 42% or better from three on the season. Jared Butler shoots 43%. Davion Mitchell shoots 46.5%. Adam Flagler shoots 42.5%. Matthew Mayer shoots 45%. That is insane. Except here's the problem. Let's look at what they've done coming out of this most recent COVID pause. They go to Iowa State, or they play Iowa State at home on on Tuesday. They win by five, but they're down at halftime. Three-point field goal shooting, 32%. Three-point field goal shooting, eight of 25 overall. Not pretty. And then when you look at the Kansas game on Saturday, they go six for 26 for 23%. So essentially... They made about half of the three-pointers that they normally would. If they normally shoot 42%, they shoot 23%. That's about half of what they normally would do. Not good. And it also speaks to, again, what I just said a minute ago. This is this is a team that is not playing its best basketball right now. And I do think there are some legitimate causes for concern. Also, doesn't mean that they can't get things right. They got three games in the next five days to get back into a rhythm. I I do wonder at this point if they're going to win them all. They play at West Virginia on Tuesday night. Great game, by the way. 5 p.m. Eastern. Get excited for that one. Then they play at Oklahoma State on Thursday, and they wrap the season. Or They play Oklahoma State on Thursday and Texas Tech at home on Saturday. And so, again, when I look at it, I do think they're going to get right. But it was a bad week, and it speaks to the fact, and it speaks to something we're going to talk about in a minute, just how challenging this season is. This season, they were playing as well as anybody. They were seemingly peaking before their COVID pause. Like I said, they won by 14 at Texas way back on February 2nd to go to 17-0 overall. They then beat Auburn in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And they haven't been the same since. And so I, I look at Baylor. I do think they'll get right. I don't want to belabor the point, but it is worth noting that in this year where it does feel like there is a top, top, top tier in college basketball, Baylor is not playing at the level that they were. And if you look at it in the macro of the season with the way Gonzaga is playing, the way Michigan is playing, I think it's going to be trouble for Baylor if they don't. All right, let's transition to the other team that entered the weekend undefeated and that is of course the Gonzaga Bulldogs and I did think it was kind of cool and that there was some pretty unique symmetry coming into the weekend with Baylor playing its game on Saturday night ESPN 8 p.m. Eastern they of course take the loss and then ESPN immediately transitioning into the Gonzaga Bulldogs who also entered the night undefeated and Gonzaga actually finishing their regular season undefeated. And for people who don't know the whole deal with Gonzaga, their regular season is essentially over. Now, in theory, they could, of course, schedule another out-of-conference game for later this week, 
But as currently scheduled, their, conference, their, their regular season is done. Their conference tournament, they won't play again until next Monday. So we're talking about a week from today, Monday, March, March 8th. Uh, for people who don't know, their, their, their conference is set up where both they and BYU, the number two seed, get a double bye into the semifinals. So they will essentially have, assuming there's no scheduling changes, two games left between now and the start of the NCAA tournament. And so with Gonzaga finishing their regular season on Saturday, with them finishing undefeated, I just wanted to do something that I know is going to frustrate a lot of you. And that is, I want to give Gonzaga some credit. And I want to appreciate and accept and acknowledge just how hard it is to go undefeated, but especially to do it this season. And before we go forward, I already know what some of you, you're driving in your cars, you're at the gym, you're in the office, and you hear Torres yelling and screaming, and you're thinking to yourself, why is this guy giving credit to Gonzaga? They stink, their program stinks, they're overrated, they play in a weak conference. And what I would tell you is, one, we'll get into some of the numbers in a minute, but the numbers don't reflect that, one, their conference is as bad as you think, or two, that their conference has hurt them. But I, I, this will be an interesting year in this case study, right? And I do think there is something to be said for a team like Baylor. Yes, they took a loss on Saturday night, but in the long run, going to Fog Allen Fieldhouse with fans is going to help them. Playing West Virginia on the road with fans this week is going to help them. Playing at Texas Tech earlier in the season is going to help them. And I do think it will be an interesting case study to see if Gonzaga has been hurt by the conference that they play in. Some years the conference is actually pretty good. Last year I actually thought BYU was good enough to make a Final Four in addition to Gonzaga. But this year the conference is a little bit down. St. Mary's is terrible. San Francisco isn't as good as we thought. BYU is good, but not at the level that they were last season. And so Gonzaga has essentially gone from probably the middle to end of December until now without a real challenge all season long, or all 2021 long at the very least, all conference regular season long. And it'll be interesting to see if it could hurt them, because I do think that even Mark Few would say they're probably not playing their absolute best basketball right now. If you watched them on Saturday night, they actually fell down early to Loyola Marymount. And the Santa Clara game on Thursday, they actually struggled out of the gate. They were only up by two at halftime, even though they won by 14. And so I do think if you believe that Gonzaga is hurt by their conference, this year is going to be an interesting case study. Because what if they do get to the Sweet 16 and play an Arkansas or a West Virginia or a Kansas or somebody like that who has been playing tough competition all year, peaking at the right time, if they lose that game, then this conversation will restart up. I will also say, I do believe there is one person also who wants some tougher competition at this time of year, and that's Mark Few. I told you on this podcast a few weeks ago that Gonzaga very aggressively tried to get a game for a few Saturdays ago when they were supposed to play Houston, and it fell through at the last minute. And they wanted to play Houston. They wanted the challenge. They wanted to play another team that is considered to be elite because I think Mark Few could tell that they needed to sharpen up a little bit. So I do think it will be an interesting case study this year to see if what people say is true, that Gonzaga has been hurt by their conference. Now, I would also say that the metrics and history tell us that they have not been hurt because as the stat goes, a lot of people know this, but there is only one team that has made it to at least the Sweet 16 in all of the previous five NCAA tournaments, and it ain't Duke, it ain't North Carolina, it ain't Michigan State, it ain't uh, Michigan, it ain't Kentucky, it ain't Tennessee. It's Gonzaga. 
And in those five Sweet 16 runs, they've made three Elite Eights, one Final Four, one National Championship game. One of those Elite Eights, they lost to the eventual National Champ, which was Duke in 2015. One of those Sweet 16s that they lost, they were a four seed and, and fell to, to a really good Florida State team without their best player, Killian Tilly. So even though the conference has supposedly hurt them, this is a team that has been a staple in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. But I'm kind of dodging the point. I did want to at least clarify and acknowledge that it is a concern, and I think even people within Gonzaga are concerned. But I would also tell you that I don't think whatever happens in the regular, whatever happens in the NCAA tournament, and whatever you think of them should diminish what Gonzaga has done this year. First of all, the idea that they didn't play anybody this year was absolutely preposterous. You want to say the conference is down, you want to say the conference is in a Power Five team, that's okay. But don't tell me that they did not play anybody this year. They played four teams that are currently ranked, as I record this, in the top 20. They played Kansas and beat them by 12. They played West Virginia and beat them by 5. They played Iowa and beat them by 11. They played Virginia and beat them by 23. It's worth mentioning the Iowa game, Gonzaga was coming directly off a COVID pause. Hadn't practiced in two weeks. I think they had one practice, flew out, and beat Iowa by 11. Virginia, they put up 95 points, the most points that Tony Bennett has allowed, so don't tell me they didn't play anybody. But beyond that, I think we just need to accept, acknowledge, and appreciate what Gonzaga did, especially this season. Because first of all, a, an undefeated regular season should always be celebrated. I don't care the conference, I don't care the circumstances, I don't care the out-of-conference, I don't care who you played, to start a season in November and to end it in March or in this case the final 36 hours of February and to not lose a single game is absolutely incredible when you really think about it at its most basic level. And when you think about even though Gonzaga's conference isn't perfect, never forget that, again, first of all, they beat four teams that are currently ranked in the top 20. They probably have six or seven wins against NCAA tournament teams. I should mention they have seven quad one wins, which is more than Baylor, way more than Houston, more than Iowa, more than Villanova, more than Kansas, more than West Virginia. I could go on and on and on down the list. So it's incredible to finish undefeated. It's incredible to finish undefeated against the schedule that they did. An undefeated season needs to be celebrated, but it especially needs to be celebrated this year. Because as I've told you, all throughout this entire season, really dating back to college football season, these kids have gone through more than we can ever imagine. This is not the traditional college experience. This is not the traditional Gonzaga experience. They don't get to play their home games in front of 12,000 fans or whatever the kennel holds. They have not gotten to play uh, in front of their friends and family and peers. They have not gotten to go to parties after and get patted on the back and told how good they are. They have basically, since, since they basically got back in June or July, it's been dorm room, practice facility, game, back. Dorm room, practice facility, game, back. They don't get to do anything fun. They don't get to hang out. They don't get to do fun stuff. They don't get to hang out with people. And I just look at what they have done to keep that laser-like focus, to not let this whole thing get them down. And I think it's incredible. And I think I've told this story uh, before on this podcast, but let me just say, I know some people up at Gonzaga. I know people, you know, basically at every major college program in the country, not to brag, it's just a fact. And I remember talking to somebody back in August or September or October, and they said something, this was before the season started, but he said something to the effect of, yeah, it's tough, but I'm not going to go out for a burger 
and risk our national championship season. I'm not going to go out and grab a beer and risk our national championship season. And I thought that was so poignant. I thought that was so incredible. And I thought that speaks so much to how tough this college basketball season has been. These guys can't go out and just celebrate with their friends after they get a victory. They can't go out and hang. They can't even hang out with each other after a big victory. They can't hang out with their girlfriends. I mean, I guess they can in theory, but you get the point. Never forget, two weeks ago, North Carolina got crushed publicly because two players decided to have a party and celebrate beating Duke without masks on. I didn't think the the backlash was worth it. I didn't think the backlash was warranted, but it happened. And so I just look at Gonzaga, and I think that we always need to celebrate an undefeated season regardless of the conference, the team, the whatever. But especially this season, especially what this team has gone through, especially with from essentially June, July until now, not being able to leave their dorms, not being able to leave, uh, do anything on the road. You fly in, you fly out, you go straight to the hotel room, you test a bunch of times a week. It's just an exhausting, exhausting process. And so I understand some of you think that their conference stinks or that their schedule stinks or whatever. One, the metrics don't back that up. Again, seven quad one wins, more than Baylor, more than Kansas, more than West Virginia, more than Iowa, on and on and on. But two, just appreciate and respect what they did this season because I think it's really, really, really hard. All right, let's whip around very quickly some of the other big results of the weekend beyond Baylor, Kansas, and of course, Gonzaga finishing the regular season undefeated. Busy, busy, kind of wild weekend here. Uh, a couple games that stood out to me, Oklahoma State, Kate Cunningham going bananas in his first of two Bedlam games this week. Cade Cunningham, friend of the Aaron Torres pod, goes for 40 points, 11 boards in that one. Oklahoma State gets the win. They will actually play again Monday. Weird scheduling quirk, but Oklahoma State will play Oklahoma on Monday. Uh, outside of that, Iowa beating Ohio State. One, I think Iowa's probably a little bit better than people give them credit for. I know they just lost to Michigan, but they're a really good team. Ohio State, I also think this might be water finding its level. They've now lost three straight. Never really thought they were in that upper, upper, upper echelon. And I think we're kind of seeing it now. Good team, solid team, but the wrong matchups. I think they could lose early in the NCAA tournament. North Carolina beating Florida State. I told you, even though North Carolina lost to Marquette, I told you that North Carolina is a solid team and a team I would want nothing to do with in my bracket. Imagine them being the uh, 10 seed in your bracket and you're a two seed. You got to play them in round two. Good luck with them. Uh, speaking of kind of that blue blood theme, we just mentioned Kansas a minute ago with Baylor. Beyond them, Duke loses bad for the bubble to Louisville. Michigan State loses bad for the bubble for Michigan State as they lose to Maryland. Kentucky loses to Florida. They kind of regress to their November December form too many turnovers too many missed three pointers not enough team basketball by the way if you want an indictment on how weird this season is we are 40 minutes in and I just broke down a Louisville floor a Louisville Duke game a Florida Kentucky game and a Michigan State game in about 30 seconds that is what they warrant on an episode like today but this is the season that we're in guys uh, and, and the last little thing I do want to talk about beyond those games, by the way, a couple other results I should mention, Arkansas, ninth straight SEC win, shout out to Coach Musk, shout out to Alabama, first SEC title since 2002 as they clinched it at Mississippi State. Uh, no, the only other one that really stands out, Tennessee, I've said it for weeks, if you think Tennessee is magically turning a corner, I think it's time to give up on that, they lose to a Sharif Cooperless Auburn team, a lot of frustration in Knoxville with that team. All right, let's get to the last little topic of the weekend. And, and frankly, it really isn't a little topic necessarily, but a big one. 
And that is what is going on at Bloomington, in Bloomington, Indiana. Archie Miller, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, obviously at Indiana. Indiana loses on Saturday to Michigan. Final score, 72-57. to The game, frankly, if you watched it, really wasn't even as competitive as that final score would indicate. There was never a point after about the middle of the first half where you felt like Indiana was actually going to make a run and make that one competitive. But with the loss, Indiana falls to 12-12 and overall. And for the first time, it really does feel like Archie Miller might not actually be back at Indiana next year. Like I said, 12-12 and overall. Uh, this is now his fourth season. And there were some really prominent national media members that really kind of, uh, I don't know want to say they went after him, but I think they fairly criticized him in a way that I haven't seen the media criticize Archie Miller on a national level before. I'm not talking about Indiana fans on a message board going crazy or on Twitter going crazy. I am talking about Pat Forty at SI writing an article basically saying it's time to consider somebody else, and he had an interesting name that I'll discuss in a minute. Bob Kravitz, a prominent uh, uh, columnist in Indiana, works for The Athletic, wrote something similar. I googled Archie Miller, and basically the first four, five, six uh, headlines were all about whether he needs to be removed, is it time, who could be potential replacements. So this thing is getting ugly really quick, and I don't know that we're there just yet, I think there is still time for one Archie Miller to straighten things out this year, but I think it's at least a conversation, and so let's get into it, because as I said, Indiana, with the loss, falls to 12-12 and overall, and I know you're probably not surprised to hear this, but I think right now they're officially out of the NCAA tournament picture. Um, this is a team that went into the weekend as one of the last four in, basically having to play a play-in game. The irony of the NCAA tournament being in Indianapolis, the irony of the NCAA tournament having NCAA tournament games at Assembly Hall in Bloomington should not be overshadowed in this. And Indiana went into the weekend as one of the last four in, and you lose a game even if it's to Michigan to fall to 500 on the season. And you're in a position where it's hard to justify you being an NCAA tournament team. And if this was year one, it wouldn't be necessarily a huge deal. But this is now year four of the Archie Miller era. And you look at the, 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 the trajectory of the program, and it's definitely not going in the right direction, right? Year one, you look at things, okay, they go 16 and 15, not terrible. His first season taken over for Tom Crean, no big deal. Year two, they go 19 and 16. That was the year they had Romeo Lankford. And if you listen to this show all the way back then, I think this, that was the first season I did this show, I largely defended Archie Miller. I basically said, look, everyone's say, telling me that, that they're wasting Romeo Lankford's one year. Well, Romeo Lankford was part of the problem that year. Uh, I, I don't blame Romeo Lankford. I don't blame Archie Miller. But I thought that Arch took too much blame and Romeo Langford not enough for that season. Last year, again, in Archie Miller's defense, 20-12, and 12, you would have made the tournament had the tournament been played, but even then, you had to go to the Big Ten tournament. They actually won their opener before the tournament was canceled, but they went to the Big Ten tournament very much on the bubble and needed to win their opener just to play themselves on the bubble. And now, again, finally, this is year four. You're out of excuses. This is no longer, you can't say that, uh, uh, you know, it's Tom Crean's recruits. And I'm not saying that Archie Miller said that, but I'm just saying you're basically out of excuses. Can't blame Tom Crean's recruits. Can't blame injuries. Can't blame a weird early NBA draft entry. You can't say that it's uh, uh, whatever. You got your recruits. Trace Jackson Davis is playing at an all Big Ten level, and you should be better than you are. 
Instead, you're sputtering. You're 6-10 overall. You're losing games you shouldn't. And as I talked about earlier in the season, there's just it's just a frustrating product in general. You win some games that you're not supposed to, then you immediately follow it with a loss that you shouldn't lose. Uh, you beat Butler in the out-of-conference, great way to end the out-of-conference, then you immediately lose to Northwestern to open conference play. You win at Iowa and maybe the signature win of the entire Archie Miller era, and then you immediately lose as a home favorite to Rutgers the next game. You lose at Rutgers this past week in a in essentially a must-win game, getting swept by a school that really Indiana, with due respect to Rutgers, probably should never get swept by. And so when I look at the situation in Indiana, it's just not good. Because like I said a bunch of times already, year four, you got your own guys. You're losing to teams you're not supposed to. And let me take it a step further. You can't use the excuse of just that the Big Ten's really good. And you know why? Because Chris Holtman came to Ohio State the same offseason that you came to Indiana. Year four for Chris Holtman, guess what? Chris Holtman has this team in the top 10 and competing for a number one seed. Don't think they'll get there, but he's competing for a number one seed. Brad Underwood, the head coach at Indiana, or at Illinois, excuse me. He is in year four as well, hired the same offseason as you. He had uh, Illinois comfortably in the NCAA tournament last year. He has them in position to get a number one seed this year. Jawan Howard in year two. And I understand you can argue Jawan Howard had a much better situation coming in, but he has Michigan playing like a national championship contender. And even if you can say that Jawan Howard had a better situation, you can't say it about Brad Underwood. He took over one of the worst programs in the conference. You can't say it about Chris Holtman. He didn't have a significantly worse situation than you did. And so you start looking at the circumstances at Indiana. And again, Archie Miller, he's got some explaining to do at the very least. By the way, you want to know how bad things are? I saw this stat. This is unbelievable. And then we'll get back to, to the topic at hand, who could be hired, what's next, all that stuff. This is how bad things are at Indiana. You know how I said a minute ago that um, that you win one game, you lose one game, you win a game you shouldn't, then you lose a game that you shouldn't? How about this? Indiana has not won more than two games in a row all season this year. For, ca- for comparison and context, Kentucky has two separate three-game losing, three-game winning streaks this year. So Indiana hasn't won more than two in a row all year. Indiana, uh, Kentucky has won three in a row twice in the single worst season, basically, of the last 100 years of Kentucky. That is how bad things are at Indiana right now. Now, in terms of what's next, I think it's interesting because it is worth noting that Archie Miller does have a $10 million plus buyout. Uh, and it's worth noting we're in the middle of a pandemic, and it's worth noting that uh, Indiana probably in a perfect world does not want to pay that buyout. But I also think it's worth noting that I cover college football. You guys listen to this show during college football season. Guess what? You know who else had a 10-plus million dollar buyout and it didn't matter? Gus Malzahn. You know who else it didn't matter? Steve Sar- uh, uh, Tom Herman replaced by Steve Sarkeesian. Will Muschamp had a massive buyout. If there are private donors that are willing to pay what it takes to get you off the books, doesn't matter. And the bigger issue for Archie Miller is there's actually some really good candidates out there that would potentially be interested in taking this job. The name that Pat Forty brought up, and I don't know if he would be interested, but it was interesting. How about Scott Drew at Baylor? Sounds crazy, but hear us out. Scott Drew is, of course, the son of Homer Drew, the famous coach at Valparaiso. Guess where Valparaiso is in Indiana? Guess where Scott Drew up? Scott Drew grew up in Indiana. Guess where he got his first head coaching job at Valparaiso, replacing his father before he went to Baylor. I'm not saying Scott Drew would take it, 
But, I, uh, you know, Pat Forty laid it out. You got to at least make the phone call. A couple things. One, Scott Drew's actually younger than you think. He's only 50 years old. John Calipari, for context, got to Kentucky at 51 years old. So Scott Drew would basically be getting to Indiana at the same time John Calipari got to Kentucky. Uh, two, I will say there have been rumors in previous years they've died down a little bit that I think Scott Drew was a little bit frustrated with the fan support at Baylor and he was maybe looking for a new opportunity. I think it's gotten better the last two years, but I mean, it doesn't get much better than Indiana. Doesn't get more, uh, 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 you know, fan support and interest and whatever than Indiana. And I would also say, this is, might be as good as it gets at Baylor. And I know that sounds crazy. And listen, you could say that about any great coach, right? Like you could have said that 10 years ago about, about Mark Few at Gonzaga. Oh, it'll never get better than it is right now. And it's obviously gotten better. And you can make the case that the same will happen at Baylor. But it's worth noting that at Baylor this year, uh, first of all, two of their two best players will probably declare for the draft after the season, Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell. Der- Jared Butler actually almost went last year and decided to return at the last possible minute. Macy Oteague, who is a starter on this roster, is a senior. Mark Vital, who is a starter on this roster, I am almost certain is a senior. And so you start looking across this roster over who is going to be back and who is not going to be back, and you're looking at the possibility that Baylor's going to lose four starters. So with that said, Pat Forty brought up Scott Drew. I have no idea if Scott Drew is be interested or not, but it's at least worth considering when Pat Forty brought it up because I don't think he brings it up unless he's heard it from an agent or something like that. The other name that I have absolutely heard that is absolutely worth considering, how about some guy named John Beeline? Maybe you heard of him. Really good college coach. Maybe the best X's and O's coach in college a few years ago before he went to the NBA. It clearly didn't work out at the NBA level. But, I mean, this guy is a rock star in terms of what he was able to do at Michigan, winning multiple regular season titles, multiple conference titles, multiple Final Fours. Uh, his last three years at Michigan, two Sweet 16s and, and a Final Four. And the thing about John Beeline is this. Yes, he's a little bit older, 68 years old. But it's not like this program needs a complete rebuild. Say what you want about Archie Miller, but there is talent in the program. There is uh, good players in the program. And I'm just saying, he is available. He seems to be very interested in getting back into coaching. I've listened to interviews with him. He can't explicitly say it. I think he's at Michigan doing some professor work and all that. This guy wants to get back into coaching. And he's 68 years old, and he doesn't have time to go to Boston College or somewhere like that or Penn State where he's going to have to rebuild it from scratch. He doesn't have 15 years. Why not go to Indiana, one of the best jobs in the country? It's already basically there's a really solid structure in place. I think he might be interested. Now, I'd wrap by saying a couple things. People are kind of, kind of, kind of probably wondering, okay, so what is next with this Indiana thing? I think the first thing is, I mean, Arch can still save this thing, right? If you think about it, um, this is a guy that still has two games left in the regular season. I don't think he'll be favored in either of them. They play at Michigan State and at Purdue. But you win those two games, you're going to the NCAA tournament. Even if you don't win those two, let's say you split them, you go one and one, win a couple games at the Big Ten tournament, then you're going to the NCAA tournament. So, so I think the, 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 the smartest thing, the, the, the easiest way to look at it is Archie Miller still has plenty of time to make an NCAA tournament, and I think an NCAA tournament saves his job. I don't believe that the, the Indiana school president and the Indiana – athletic director want to fire a head coach 
in the middle of a pandemic and pay him $10 million to go away. And so I think they really are hoping Indiana is going to make a run and get better and make an NCAA tournament. And if that happens, then he will obviously keep his job. But I do think if they do miss the tournament, I think we could have a situation like Texas football here. What I mean by that is if you remember the Texas football situation, it was really interesting because, uh, you know, Tom Herman seemed to save his job. And instead, what happened was behind the scenes, Texas's AD and their boosters and everything were quietly working the phones, quietly lining things up and quietly trying to figure out who would be interested in taking the job. And so if you're asking me today, I would still guess that Archie Miller is the head coach at Indiana next year. That would be my presumption because, one, I think he can still realistically make the NCAA tournament. And, two, even if he doesn't, you got to be able to get a replacement. I don't think in a pandemic you can go into uh, the coaching market without knowing that the next guy you want is available and willing to take the job. I would assume that guy would be John Beeline. So expect this thing to play out over the next couple weeks. It's interesting. Maybe I will do a coaching carousel uh, conversation on on one of these episodes this week because I will tell you some jobs are starting to open up now. Uh, New Mexico has opened. Wichita State actually closed. They named their their, uh, interim the head coach, Isaac Brown. But it's an interesting, fascinating deal. And I'm just telling you, I think this Indiana thing is probably a little bit more real than a lot of people realize. I would still expect them back next year, but I think the percentage has gone way down over the last, you know, whatever, month or so. All right, I think that's it, guys. I am drained. I am so drained. Uh, no, no complaining. It's that time of the year. No days off. I'm like Bill Belichick, but I am ready to get out of here. You guys are probably tired of listening to me talking. So that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I will be back later this week. Before we get out of here, I uh, want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the show. Make sure that you are subscribed. iTunes, the podcast, Addict App. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Uh, find us on uh, on on, ins- uh, on YouTube as well. Lots of places to find the Aaron Torres Sports po- Podcast content. And as I've said uh, throughout the last few weeks, make sure you're following Bracket Fanatics and that you're going to run your brackets through Bracket Fanatics. Use the promo code Torres uh, to make yourself a quick, cool $1,000 if you have a great bracket. So that is all for today's show. I'm wiped out. So shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back on Wednesday Loaded week, loaded show, loaded time of year. We'll talk soon, people.